All right, well, good evening to each one of you. It's good to see you here tonight on Sunday night. And I'm looking forward to the message about Abraham this evening. And let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into the message for tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege you have given us of coming out tonight to hear your word. I pray that you would speak through me and that each one of us would hear what you would have us to hear in this message. And as we study the life of Abraham, may it inspire us to be people of faith the way he was. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of tonight's message is The Altar of Abraham's Sacrifice. And I love studying the life of Abraham. Abraham is, of course, known as the father of the faithful. And we are going to see exactly why that is. He is the father of those who have faith because he gives us a clear demonstration of the type of faith that we need to exercise in order to be children of God the way Abraham was a child of God. And as we look at the type of faith that Abraham had, I'm going to start with a very familiar passage in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, because what we are going to see is that Abraham experienced the essence of the gospel throughout his life. And let's look at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and you will see very quickly how this verse connects to the life of Abraham. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, as I suspect it is for some of you as well. This is the gospel message. And Paul is saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And the word for power comes from the Greek word dunamis, which comes from the meaning of dynamite, meaning that the power of the gospel is like dynamite. It's not some weak modifier that gives you a mild upgrade. It's an explosive, transformative change in your entire life. And it brings us salvation. And it's to everyone that believes. And the question is, What does it mean to believe? And that's what we're going to look at as we get into the life of Abraham. And we're going to see a little bit more here in verse 17, just exactly what the gospel is all about, why it is so powerful. Verse 17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. In verse 17, he says, for therein, or for in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. In other words, the reason why the gospel is so powerful because it's in the lives of those who believe the righteousness of God is revealed in their lives. 
And notice, it's not, it can't simply then be just a legal external covering. It's a, a covering that also is a demonstration. It's a revelation of the righteousness of God, specifically in those who have faith. The, those who have the experience that are, is described as the just who live by faith, those are the same ones who believe. And those who believe, those who experience the message of justification by faith, the power of the gospel, the dynamite power of the gospel is revealed in their lives as the righteousness of God. That's why the gospel is so powerful. And the question is, if this righteousness is revealed in all those who believe... What does it mean to believe? How do I believe in such a way that I can have this kind of power, this kind of righteousness in my life? Don't you want to have that? And by the way, and this really isn't a by the way, I plan to say this. When Paul says the just shall live by faith, he is describing the experience of justification by faith. And the word in the Greek for just comes from the Greek word dikaios, which, is, uh, which means righteous. And there is a specific New Testament character who is described as being just several times in the New Testament. Do you want to take a guess as to who that is? In the New Testament. Jesus Christ. Pilate's wife says, have, have nothing to do with this just man. Peter says, you denied the Holy One and the just. Stephen said the same thing in his final sermon to the Sanhedrin. And in the Greek, it's the same word, the dikaios. That's used to describe Jesus. So one of the reasons why the gospel is so powerful, it's because those who have faith experience the righteousness that Jesus experienced here on this earth. And Ellen White just so happens to say that the experience or the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. That's Review and Herald, April 1, 1890. So what we're talking about, when we're talking about the gospel, when we're talking about believing, when we're talking about justification by faith, when we're talking about the righteousness of God being revealed in the lives of those who have this experience, we're talking about the third angel's message. Because the third angel's message is a demonstration of the righteousness of Christ, specifically the faith of Jesus, those who believe. And so when it says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, Paul then proceeds to give us an example of someone who believed so that we will know just exactly how we need to believe as well. Does that make sense? And that example is found three chapters after Romans 1 in Romans chapter 4. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4. And again, the title of our message tonight is The Altar of Abraham's Sacrifice. And that's where we're going to end up, is the, the, sacri the great sacrifice that Abraham was going to make. And we're going to see that his faith led him step by step to that point. Let's go to Romans chapter 4, verse 1. 
What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Now notice verse 3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now notice this carefully. In Romans 1.16, it says the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And in Romans chapter 4, Paul says, in case you were wondering if there's any example that we can point to of someone who believed in a saving way, it was Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, if you want to use different synonyms to describe the same thing, to be counted righteous is to be declared righteous, is to have righteousness imputed to your account. It's to be justified. Amen. All of those things mean the same thing. Amen. And Romans 4 verse 3, Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, you know that in the book of James, James says, you believe in one God, you do well, the de devils also believe and tremble. So are the devils counted as righteous? No, they're not. So James is saying, just to give us further clarification, that a simple belief in a theory isn't necessarily a saving faith. It's good to believe that there's one God, but there's more to it than that. And we're going to see how there's more to it in the faith experience of Abraham. Now, when Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For what saith the Scripture? You realize that Paul is quoting Scripture here. And by the way, when you study the book of Romans, Paul quotes liberally from the Old Testament. And that's interesting, because people try to say that the New Testament gospel of grace is a new gospel compared to the Old Testament, yet Paul is using the Old Testament to build his whole theological argument for what the gospel is. And so absolutely we believe in the New Testament gospel of grace, just as we believe in the Old Testament gospel of grace. We believe in the biblical gospel of grace. And so do you know where Paul is quoting scripture when he says, what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Where is that coming from? Well, Abraham is only found in the book of Genesis as far as his historical account. This is Genesis chapter 15. And this is going to help us understand much more clearly what it means to believe in God. Let's start in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham, or Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? 
And Abraham, or Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. Now, God has promised to Abraham at this point that he would be the father of many nations. This is in Genesis chapter 12, where God says, I will make of you a great nation. And yet Abraham, by chapter 15, is saying, God, I don't have a child. So what you can do is you can take the steward of my house, Eliezer, and he can be the heir. And because he's like a son to me, this will be where my inheritance comes from. Abraham is trying to bargain with God. God makes a promise. We look at the reality on the ground and we say, well, God, I know your word says this, but... Here's what's happening in life. How about if we make a bargain here? We'll do partly what you say and partly what I say. Is that faith? Let's keep reading here. Verse 4 of Genesis 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. In other words, Abraham, you will be the biological father. My word says that you will be the biological father of the child who will come forth, who will be the inheritance through whom I will raise up a great nation. We're not going to go with your plan. We're going to go with my word. And so Abraham gets his unbelief rebuked right there. Now, God has to do something, though, to convince Abraham that when he says, Abraham, I know you may be old. I know you may be past childbearing age, but because I said that you will be the biological father of the child through whom your seed will come, I'm going to do something to make you believe my word. So what does God do? We go to verse 5 of Genesis 15. <clears throat> and God brought Abraham forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And God said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and God counted it to him for righteousness. Now, Genesis 15, verse 6, that is the verse that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Do you see that? So Romans 4 verse 3 is a quotation, a citation of Genesis 15 verse 6. So what's happening here in Genesis 15? Abraham is saying, God, you promised me back in Genesis 12 that I would be the father of a great nation, but I don't have any children, so why don't you take my servant Eliezer? And God is saying, no, I'm not going to take your servant Eliezer. I'm going to take a child that is going to be your biological son. And let me show you why that is so. He takes Abraham, he takes him out, and he says, look up at the stars, Abraham. And Abraham looks up at the stars. And when Abraham looks up at the stars, God says, if you can number them, that's how many children, that's how many in your inheritance, your seed that you will have. And verse 6 says, Abraham believed the word of God. And because Abraham believed the word of God, God said, I declare you to be righteous. 
Now, what happened here in verses 5 and 6? What kind of a faith did Abraham exercise for God to then say, Abraham, you are declared righteous? What does God do? He takes Abraham and he shows him what? He shows him the stars. Now, when Abraham is looking up at the stars, what should that make him think? Right, I think I, and I think I heard someone say it. You know, Abraham's looking up at all the stars. He's looking into the heavens, and he is reminded that the God who is speaking to him right now, who is saying, Abraham, you may be past childbearing age, but I'm going to give you a child. That same God is the same God who put all of those stars into existence. And Abraham would know that it was by the word of the Lord that the heavens were made and all the starry hosts. It was by the word of God. Abraham knew that when God said, let there be light, there was light. And so as Abraham looks up into the starry host, he remembers God by his word spoke those stars into existence. And if his word says that he can make one child through me and my wife, then surely it must be so. Amen. And God says, that's the kind of faith I'm looking for. You're righteous. That's righteousness by faith. Amen. Believing in the creative power of God's word to accomplish what it says it will do. Amen. That's why when the centurion came to Jesus and said, I have men under me and they go where I tell them to go based on the authority of my word. So because you are the God of heaven, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I haven't found that kind of faith in all of Israel. He understands the power of the creative word of God. Amen. So Abraham, when he tells God, hey, why don't you use my servant? And God says, no, I am going to create a new child from within you and your wife. And then Abraham is reminded of the creative power of God and believes in it. God then said he declared Abraham to be righteous. Now, Romans 4, let's go back to Romans 4. Romans 4 gives us a greater understanding of just exactly the type of faith that Abraham exercised. Let's start in verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Paul is saying, let's talk more about the faith of Abraham, and those who have that type of faith will receive grace as well. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, and then notice this, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So Abraham is saying, God has power in his word to quicken the dead, to raise the dead, that, to call things into existence that are not. God just spoke those stars into existence, and they exist now based on the creative power of God's word. 
That's the kind of faith that Abraham was having. And then in verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. In other words, humanly speaking, there was no reasonable hope that Abraham could ever have a child. And against that hope, he believed in hope because of the word of God. And then verse 19, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now this is very interesting. Abraham was almost a hundred years old when he had Isaac, and he did not let that get in the way of his faith and the creative power of God's word. Not only that, not only did he have to overcome the human impossibility of his own human weakness, his wife also had the same problem. And you know, Sarah, when she heard this promise, she laughed. She didn't believe initially either. And Abraham had to have such a faith that not only would he believe, but he had to have the type of faith that would produce faith in his spouse. And the spiritual application is this. In order to have saving faith, righteousness by faith, not only do we believe in God, but our faith needs to produce saving faith in those around us. Our witness should be such that not only do we believe in the creative power of God, but by our life and by our belief, by our faith, we convince someone else that it can be so as well. And so Abraham, he not only overcame his impossibility, he overcame the impossibility of his wife, who was about 90 years old. And they both were well past childbearing age. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And here's an application to the end time. Abraham gave glory to God, just as in the first angel's message, we are called to give glory to God in the judgment. And that means that giving glory to God means to believe in his word, even when it seems humanly impossible. That is going to be one of our tests in the judgment. And now let's come to verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, when you get to verses 21 and 22, Paul is saying the same thing that he said in Romans 4, verse 3. In Romans 4, verse 3, he says, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. But in Romans chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, he says that Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Do you see the similarity and yet the, the deeper explanation? In Romans 4, verse 3, all we're told is that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But when you get to verses 21 and 22, Paul says, let me explain to you what it means to believe in God. 
What it means to believe in God is to be fully persuaded, not to just have some kind of a half-hearted belief like, well, if the Bible says that I can have victory over sin, then I guess maybe that might be true. No, what Paul is saying is that Abraham took the word of God at face value and not only accepted it intellectually, but he embraced it with all of his heart. And he says, I am fully persuaded that because God has said that I can have a child out of a human impossibility, therefore it will happen. I believe with all of my heart. I am fully persuaded. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. You see, what Abraham was believing was that God could take a human body that was dead and bring new life out of a dead body. And God says to us, I can take your life that has been dead in trespasses and sins, and bring out a new life. Amen. And you know what? Let me show you from the Bible what, how, how that is so. Look, you may be saying, well, that was Abraham, the great father of faith. He was fully persuaded, and he somehow believed that even though his body was dead, that he could have new life. But how can I really believe that my life, which has been weighed down with all of these sins and all of these problems and all of these trials, and I've fallen over and over again, and I'm not gaining the experience that I know that God wants me to have, how can it really be so? But then when you come to Romans 4, verse 23, Paul says, now it was not written for his Abraham's sake alone that righteousness was imputed to him but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification in other words this isn't some pie in the sky experience that only Abraham would experience this is written for us as well if we believe on God God, the Father who raised Jesus up from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, and he was raised up for our justification. Now, what does Paul mean when he says, if we believe on God who raised up Jesus from the dead? Well, let me show you in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now notice verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Notice this, Abraham was fully persuaded that what God promised he was able also to perform and we will also have righteousness imputed to us if we believe in God the Father who raised up Jesus from the dead that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we will be raised up to walk in newness of life, to live a new life. This is the faith that God is asking us to have that we will be fully persuaded that we can have a new life, a righteous life 
through the power and grace of Jesus Christ, which is why then Paul says in Romans 1, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And the reason why it's the power of God is because when we believe, we are believing that not only will we be forgiven, but that we will be raised up to live a new life. And let me say this, justification... Ellen White makes the statement that pardon and justification are one and the same thing. You receive forgiveness for your sins when you come to the throne of grace. Fully and completely. And you also, by the grace of God, receive a new heart. And sometimes we can talk about victory over sin. But you have to ask yourself... Do you really believe that Jesus has forgiven your sins? And here's the thing. If you don't have faith to believe that the word of God is true when it says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, you are not going to really believe that he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You're not going to have victory. If you don't believe that you have forgiveness, you're not going to have victory. They go together. So... You can talk about victory over sin, but the forgiveness has to be part of the message. Forgiveness and cleansing, forgiveness and victory, they all go together. And sometimes we can emphasize just the forgiveness and we leave out the victory, and so you're needing to be cleaned up all the time when God is saying, you don't need to keep falling. I can keep you from falling. And then sometimes you're talking about having victory over sin, and yet you haven't even gotten the forgiveness that you need in the first place to start talking about victory. So they go together. It's a complete package. And if you go down in Romans 6, we'll just go through verse 7 here, verse 8. Continuing on in verse 5 of Romans 6, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, if you, if you die like Jesus, you will be resurrected like Jesus. In other words, be a living sacrifice the way Jesus was. And verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. In other words, in order to experience this new life, we must die or be crucified with Christ to be a living sacrifice. And when we become a living sacrifice, we are raised up to live a new life and we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Abraham is giving us an, giving us an example of how to have righteousness by faith. Abraham looked at his body. It was dead. He's 100 years old. He can't be the biological father of a child. Yet the application is this. Abraham believed that God could take his dead body and bring forth new life. And God is saying, if you have that same type of faith, if you're fully persuaded in the same way, God will give you a new life. And just as Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God, God's last day people, in order to give glory to God, we will be fully persuaded that God will raise us up to walk in newness of life and we will have that experience. That's part of our judgment, our message. Now, you know, the story of Abraham is not that clean. You realize that, right? Let's go back to Genesis. And this should be actually an encouragement to all of us 
who have made a decision at one point in our life to say, I'm going to follow the Lord with all of my heart. And then something happens where you slip, you make a mistake, you don't follow God's word completely the way you should have. And Abraham is a prime example of this. So this powerful story in Genesis 15 where Abraham looks up at the stars, he believes in the creative power of God and says, God, you're going to allow me to be the biological father of a son so that I will have a seed that will be like the stars in the sky. And notice what happens in Genesis 16. Abraham's wife says, you know, I'm too old. Why don't you use my handmaid or Hagar? And in the chapter before, Abraham had just said to God, why don't you use my servant Eliezer? Why didn't he tell Sarah, the word of God says that we are going to have a child? But he faltered in his faith, and he did the works of the flesh. He went into a woman that could have a child, and God wasn't glorified through that. He said, I can, do, I can do it, God. You, you said that you are going to do it through me? Okay, I'll do it. And he did it on his own. Don't we do that so often? It's like God is promising us all of these blessings and all of this power, and then we go out and say, okay, we'll do it on our own. God, you have the power, and I'll just do the effort. But we don't follow God's word. And so Genesis 16 happens and Ishmael is born and to this very day there is tension in that part of the world over this decision even this weekend the president of Egypt exercised arbitrary power over the entire country in a way that's making everybody angry in the way that the previous dictator exercising. So anyway, that decision that Abraham made in Genesis 16, th those consequences live on. And yet, you know, God, he can um, make something good out of a poor decision. And there will be people from Islamic heritage in the kingdom, but they've been a hard group to reach. To this day, they're still a very hard group to reach. So anyway, we go through Genesis 16 and 17 and onward, and God says, you know, eventually he comes back to Abraham and he says, you know, we're still going to do it the way I said we're going to do it. And eventually Sarah conceives and Isaac is born and the child of promise has finally come. And you would think, okay, that's the end of the story. Finally, Abraham exercised the faith that was necessary. He followed God's word. That's the end of the story. Thank you, Abraham. You messed up, but at least you got it right eventually. And you had the son through Sarah. And that's the end of the story. But no, it's not. Genesis 22 the final test of Abraham's faith. And you're going to see in this final test how this final test of Abraham's faith is a, it's an illustration of the type of faith and the type of trials and in the types of ways that God is going to test his last day people to prove our faithfulness to the onlooking universe. Because you could make an argument 
by the time you come to this point in the story of Abraham's life, that, hey, Abraham thinks that pretty much, you know, he'd made a few mistakes, but, you know, he kind of got what he wanted. I mean, there was times that he lied to the king of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to other kings, saying, Sarah's my sister, and that's a half-truth. And so, you know, yes, he was faithful. Yes, he had Isaac, but there were times that he made significant mistakes, and the onlooking universe could say, okay, God, you're declaring Abraham to be righteous. You say that Abraham is counted righteous in your book, but God, how do we know that Abraham isn't going to mess up the next time he's tested? Because when he was tested in Egypt, he lied to Pharaoh. When he was tested about whether or not he could have a child, he had Ishmael. How do we know that he's really still faithful, God? And God could say, well, just trust me. I'm saying that he is. And, P and then the universe could say, well, God, you're being arbitrary. And so Genesis 22, the story comes, and let's look at this. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom you love, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now, you know, the first time I ever preached about this incident in Abraham's life, this was probably, wow, back in a good seven years ago. I didn't have a child then. So I was talking about the theory of the story. You know, I have a two-year-old daughter now. And I would, any day, any moment, any time, allow my life to be taken before hers would be sacrificed. And for God to say, take your son, whom you love. God's just like sticking the knife in and turning it. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. I mean, God is, is like... He's really almost, he's trying Abraham on so many levels. He's saying, take your only son. Well, Abraham also had Ishmael, and God's basically not acknowledging Ishmael. And then he's saying, take your only son, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham has to immediately be thinking, wait a minute, how could this be? This is the child of promise through whom the great nation, through whom my seed, as, as many as the stars in the sky are going to come. How could it be that God would tell me to end his life? One, it's going to break his law. Two, it's going to break his promise that a great nation will come. How could God ask me of such a promise or to do such a thing? And verse 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. The very first thing we see here in verse 3 is immediate obedience. 
which hasn't always been the case up until this point in Abraham's life. Yes, there's been times of faithfulness. Yes, he's been known to build his altar. Yes, he's been known to allow Lot to choose which place to live, and he was deferential and unselfish. But there's also been the times where he lied about Sarah being his wife or his sister, the times where he had Ishmael instead of trusting the word of God. But here, in this final trying test of his life, he immediately rises up and follows God's command. He gets the sacrifice ready. But notice it took three days to get to the location of the sacrifice. Now, if you have a child and they are going with you the entire three days to the place of sacrifice, don't you think those three days were three days of torture? Of very, uh, of, they were very trying on Abraham's faith. I mean, I can't even imagine going on such an errand. And verse 4, Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Notice this in verse 5. Is Abraham lying here? He's saying, look, he's saying to his servants, you stay here and I and my son, we're going to go up and worship and we're going to come back. Abraham is saying by faith, he isn't telling them exactly what's going to happen, but he's saying by faith, God may be saying that I'm going to offer up my son on the altar, but by faith, I believe that the same God who gave me this son out of a human possibility, even when I sacrifice him, we're going to somehow have him come back with me in another humanly impossible scenario. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. Now, we don't see in the, the scriptural account what happens here, but if you read in the account in Patriarchs and Prophets, Abraham tells Isaac, his son, what God had commanded him to do. And Ellen White tells us that Isaac could have overpowered his father, run off, and not participated in this, but he obeyed as well. He participated in the sacrifice. And you realize that for Abraham to offer up his son Isaac, it was harder for him. I'm sure Abraham would have gladly allowed Isaac to offer him as the sacrifice because then he would know, okay, Isaac will keep living and God's promise will be fulfilled through him. So it was a living sacrifice, if you will, on the altar of Abraham's sacrifice for him to offer up his son whom he loved, through whom the promises of God were all resting on Isaac's shoulders, and now he's about to take the life of his dear son. And in this way, Abraham came face to face with what God the Father would feel when he really would offer up his son on the cross. Abraham experienced that for himself. Verse 7, and, Abraham, and Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and he said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. And again, this had to be tearing Abraham's heart. 
Verse 9, And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So Abraham has the knife. The knife is raised up. He is about to bring the dagger down onto his son and end the life of his dear son Isaac. He really was going to pull the trigger. He wasn't holding his hand up here saying, okay, God, when are you going to send your voice out of heaven to tell me to stop this? He is about to bring the dagger down, and God could then look to the onlooking universe, those who may have questioned, including the devil and maybe unfallen worlds, those who said, God, you say that Abraham is a righteous man, but where is the evidence? Because we've seen him be inconsistent at times, and God now looks to the onlooking universe, and he says, do you have any questions about the faith of Abraham? He has reached a point in his life where he offers unquestioning obedience, even when it doesn't make sense. And in verse 11, it says, And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And you know, Abraham's heart must have thrilled through and through when he heard the angel of the Lord speak to him. And he said, Here am I. Verse 12, and he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that you fear God. Here's the second element of the first angel's message in the life of Abraham. Romans 4, he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, because he was fully persuaded that when the word of God says it's going to do something, it will accomplish what it says it will do. That's giving glory to God. But not only that, he feared God because he did not withhold the dearest person in his life. To fear God means to forsake anything and everything in your life that could come between you and God. And in the judgment, when God judges us, he will look and say, do you fear me? Am I the one and only most important thing? Do you give glory to me? Do you believe, are you fully persuaded that what my word says it will accomplish, you believe it will accomplish and you exercise your faith accordingly? That is righteousness by faith that will stand in the judgment. Fearing God, giving glory to him. And Abraham is a living demonstration that it is possible to fear God, to give glory to God in the hour of his judgment. And by the way, Abraham came out of Ur of the Chaldees. Chaldees is the land of Babylon. Abraham came out of Babylon. Abraham, he gives us an example that in the hour of God's judgment, we don't have to stay in Babylon. We come out into God's remnant church that has a message that proclaims the everlasting gospel of which Abraham is a demonstration of, which says to fear God and to give glory to him. And notice this, continuing on. 
Verse 12, and he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes, he saw the ram caught in the thicket. And then in verse 15, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemy. So here God is confirming the promise and he's making an oath. He's saying I'm sworn by the Lord. I've sworn saith the Lord that because you have done this that you will be blessed and I will multiply your seed. And I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 6 to just give you a little bit more about what inspiration tells us about this story. And we're getting near the end of our message here. Hebrews chapter 6. In verse 13, it says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured... He obtained the promise. So Paul is referring back to the story of Genesis 22, and he's saying that because God could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, and he gave the promise that he would multiply Abraham's seed. And notice in verse 15, it says, after Abraham patiently endured, he obtained the promise. But now go back just a few verses earlier. This is the message to us. Verse 12 that you be not slothful or lazy, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Listen, Seventh-day Adventists, listen, those of you living at the end of the world, those who want to be ready when Jesus comes, if you want to inherit the promises, don't be lazy. Don't think your Christian experience is going to be a lazy, smooth sailing boat ride down the water and Jesus will come and it's just been a nice, smooth, easy, lazy ride and that's your Christian walk all the way to heaven. No, no, no. Don't be lazy. Don't be slothful. But be followers of them, Abraham, who through faith, and patience inherited the promises, who patiently endured when God said, I'm going to take your son, you're going to take him, you're going to offer him on the altar, and that's going to be the end of the promise. And Abraham endured that trial patiently, and because he did so, he received the promise that God had given to him. And don't think that God is somehow going to pass us through some magical experience that isn't going to involve trials the way Abraham was tested. Because the onlooking universe, when they look at God's last day people, they're going to say, I remember when Norman McNulty did this, and he did that, and he did that, or brother so-and-so, or sister so-and-so did this, that, or that. How can you say, God, that they were accounted righteous? And God is going to say, well, you know what? Let me show you. If you have any questions, I will give you a demonstration by the lives which they are living. I will make them go through trials and tests that they will patiently endure that will show to you that they are fit for the kingdom of heaven. Now listen, 
In the story of Genesis 22, Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. The, I, I will come back with my son's servant. You wait here. And, you know, you may be saying, okay, well, Abraham had faith maybe that he wouldn't actually have to offer Isaac and that God would provide the lamb and that would be, you know, how God would solve the problem. But listen, in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, Paul tells us exactly what Abraham was thinking. Starting in verse 17. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith... Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now notice verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now let me ask you a question. When was the first resurrection? Who was the first person that was ever resurrected? Moses. Moses. Was Moses before Abraham or after Abraham? After Abraham. What is Abraham believing here? He's believing that God can resurrect Isaac, and that is something that has never, ever happened before in the history of the universe. And Abraham says, listen, God showed me the stars in heaven. It was by the word of the Lord that the heavens were made. And it was by the word of the Lord that God created Isaac through me and Sarah when we were past childbearing age. So the God of the universe, if he could give Abraham or Isaac to me through a human impossibility, if he wants me to offer him as a sacrifice, yet still use him as the seed through whom the promises will be fulfilled, then he's just going to have to raise Isaac up from the dead. There had never been a resurrection, yet Abraham was believing in something that had never happened before because he had a quality of faith that believed in the power of God's word to accomplish that which no human being had ever seen been done before. Now listen here. God is saying to his last day people, don't be lazy. Be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And this type of faith that we're talking about here, it's a faith that believes in something that has never been seen before. And what is that? Look, God is going to use his last day people as a demonstration of living sacrifices like Abraham, who will be a demonstration to the world in Revelation 4. 14, 12, of those who have the patience of the saints, who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And notice, two of those three things are used to describe Abraham. And people are saying, oh, you know, nobody can really keep the commandments of God. Have you ever seen anyone that's perfect? Who really keeps God's law? Who really is faithful all the time? Who really has patience under all trials? I've never seen it. I've never seen it. It must not be possible. Maybe God's word said it, but because I haven't seen it, I guess it just isn't true. And yet the Bible says 
according to the third angel's message that there will be a group of people at the end of time who through faith, through the power of the gospel, through being fully persuaded in the promises of God, will have the patience of the saints, who will keep the commandments of God through the power of God and have the faith of Jesus. And listen, we may not have seen it in our lifetime. We may not know of anyone who has lived such a faith experience. But listen, if God's word says it's going to happen at the end of time, it is going to happen. There will be a group of people who through the power and the grace of Jesus Christ, who have seen the creative power of God's word, they've seen the blood of Jesus on the cross. They, and I pray it will be us, believe we, we will be fully persuaded that what God has promised, he will be able also to perform. And just as Abraham went through the trial of his faith, where he had to he thought he was going to offer up his son and in virtually speaking he did the sacrifice because he was going to pull the trigger god is going to have a group of people who are going to go through an experience that the world has never seen known as jacob's time of trouble and there will be a group of people known as the 144,000 who follow their father abraham in the faith experience and who will demonstrate to the onlooking universe, look, these people, they were the weakest of the weak. They made mistakes like Abraham did. They may have had their Ishmael experience. They may have had their experience of lying to the king of Egypt. But they finally reach a point in their faith experience where every time God calls, they obey. Amen. And that is what God is calling us to be in the last days of earth's history. Do you see how the experience of Abraham's faith is so powerful? Do you see why he's called the father of faith? That he gives us a demonstration of believing in the creative power of God's word and of obeying God even when it doesn't make sense and of believing in things that had never been done before because he believed in what God said he would do. And I'm thankful that God has given us the opportunity at this time of earth's history to have such an experience. That we can be living demonstrations of faith and patience, that we can inherit the promises, and that God will use us one day through his power and through his grace to be his last day group of people that I pray each one of us will be where he will say, look at my demonstration. Here they are. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. They have the patience of the saints and the faith of Jesus. If you want to be a part of that special group of people, I would invite you to stand with me as we have a closing word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of the faith of Abraham. How he believed in your word, how against hope he believed in hope, how he was fully persuaded that what you promised you were able to perform and that he patiently endured when you tested his faith near the end of his life. And I thank you, Lord, that we can also believe in such a way that just as Abraham believed God and righteousness was counted to him, that when we believe in your creative power, you can raise us up to live a new life of faith and that at the end of time, you can show 
us to be, through your grace and power, a demonstration of what you can do when you take sinful mortal beings, dead in trespasses and sins, and raise us up to live a new life of faith. Thank you for the creative power of God's word. May we believe it fully. And by your grace, may we move forward from this day, new creatures, living sacrifices, transformed by the renewing of our minds through your grace and power. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Now, tomorrow night, you're going to want to come again. We're going to talk about Elijah. The title of the message is In the Spirit and Power of Elijah. And we're going to see how he offered up his life as a sacrifice to fight against the prevailing wickedness in Israel of his time and how he can be a source of encouragement to us living at the end of time as well. You're going to want to come, invite a friend, and we'll start at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.